Good morning and welcome to Sunlight Christian Center, located in downtown Orange. Let's join Pastor Joe and the worship service in progress. Somebody one time said that life is 10% of what happened to you and 90% of what you did about what happened to you. Sometimes it's not the issue so much that produces the stress in our life, but it's how we react to it and our perception of it that causes us so much difficulty. It's, it's the difficult part. And, and everybody deals with, with stress. In fact, I want to talk to you about stress this morning. You can't eliminate it, but you can manage it. Have you ever been to that place where you just wanted to scream out, help me, I need some help, I need some help here? because of some difficulty that's been going on or some stressful issue, some tension has been building up. Sometimes things become so tense, we're afraid that we might become past tense. We just don't know what's gonna happen the next day. And so I thought I would spend a little time this morning talking about stress management. We all need to learn how to manage the stress. Since we can't eliminate it, we need to manage it. And there are destructive ways. People use some destructive things in order to manage their stress, in which they end up with more stress than what they began with. People have, who have used alcohol and drugs, even prescription drugs, they use it to get them over the hump or over some, uh, some feeling of, 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 of discomfort or depression. And so they use a drug or use alcohol to help them get through it, and they discover that, it, yes, it does help them get through it, but now they got a DUI, and they got to stand before the judge, and now they might have to do some jail time. And, and the very thing that they use to fix the problem now becomes a bigger problem than what they started with, stress. I had a salesman come into my office years ago. Uh, he didn't want to come. His wife finally got him to come because he had been using drugs, and uh, he finally, in order to appease his wife, came to the counseling session and I could still see him now in that three-piece suit, standing up, getting up from the seat, standing up in front of me and telling me, Pastor, he said, I got this thing under control. He said, this thing doesn't control me, I control it. Well, okay. One month later, one month later, he lost his job because of the drugs. Then he lost his wife and his child. Sometimes the thing that we think we're in control of, we're not in control of it at all. I had somebody tell me one time tell me, well, Pastor Joe, if I want to quit smoking, I can quit. In fact, I quit smoking 31 times. Yeah. <laughs> Who's got real control over your life? And sometimes we do things to try to alleviate the stress that we're involved with, and then it produces even more stress. There's got to be an effective way of dealing with stress since we can't eliminate it, there's gotta be some way that we can get a handle on it. And I was thinking of the life of David since I'm going through his life, I thought what a better man to help us understand dealing in the management of stress than David. Does he qualify? David was anointed to become the next king of Israel Saul picked up on the fact that he might be the next king and became jealous of David and hounded him, demoted him, 
And when next you look, David is running around in the wilderness, hiding from King Saul day after day, month after month, year after year. Is that stress? He lived in a hostile environment. Is that stress? He had 600 men that he had to help feed, clothe, and shelter, and protect, and do it all while he was running from King Saul, who was after him, and that is stress. And so we're looking at somebody who can say something to us about stress. And so I'm going to have your attention on the life of David for a little while uh, this morning. David, at this time in the 26th chapter of 1 Samuel, is in the wilderness of Ziph. That's where he's hiding from King Saul. And it's no surprise that if you're living in the wilderness of Ziph, the people that are living there are called the Ziphites. And so we break in on the story where some of David's supposed friends are more interested in the reward money for turning David in. And this is what we read. Now the Ziphites came to Saul at Gibeah, saying, is David not hiding in the hill of Halshima, opposite Jeshima? It's interesting that that he phrase it in a question. Is it not true that David is hiding on the corner of Maple and Glacelle? I mean, they pinpointed it with him. They give him a, a GPS to get David. And so Saul's reaction, and Saul arose and went down to the wilderness of Ziph, having 3,000 chosen men of Israel with him to seek David. Every time King Saul went out after David, he picked his 3,000 special troops, special marines. These are, these are the, the equivalent of the Navy SEALs. These are the desert rats who are out there looking for, for David. And so King Saul is out there with his massive army looking for one man. But David has a spy network and has scouts, and he spots King Saul and his 3,000 men. And he waits for them to set camp. And at night, David picks one man. So David and Abishiah came by night. And Saul lay sleeping within the camp. I am amazed at this passage. There are 3,000 soldiers camped out there. Saul is in the middle. David takes one man. I mean, if they had a tank with them, I could understand it. If they had machine guns, I, you know, even then I wouldn't understand that. David takes one man and daringly steps into an enemy camp to go check up on King Saul. What a man of courage. Then Abishai said to David when they got to King Saul, who was in the center of the camp, God has delivered your enemy into your hand this day. Now, therefore, please let me strike him at once with a spear. But David said, Abishai, do not destroy him. For you, for who can stretch out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? David is dealing with this very stressful moment. And he says the right thing. Saul is the anointed of the Lord, and David in this tense moment says, no, I'm not going to lift my hand against him. I'm turning him over to the Lord. There are some issues in our lives that need to be left in God's hands. 
Because to take them into our own hands is to bring undue stress. We already got enough. Is to bring undue stress into our life. There are some things that this is a job for God. And we need to get to the place where we recognize, you know, this is not something I can handle. I can't do this. I can't, I can't deal with this. This got to be, I got to turn this thing over to the Lord. I guess the question needs to be asked, can I drop it in God's lap? Can I shake it loose? Can I let it go? I guess the real question is this, can I trust God to deal with this thing? There's even a better question than that. Can I trust God to do a better job than me? That's where we get into trouble, right there. Because we usually grab the bull by the horn and say, oh, this is a job. I got to do I can't trust God to do this. Person. Because you know how God is. God takes his time. And he gets there when he gets there. And what we want to do is want to, this is, Pastor Joe, I can't wait for God. Because you're waiting for God. I've been waiting for months, for, forgotten for years, for God. I got to grab this thing. By the, I got to do something. I got to do it now. Because now's the time to act. And so what we do is we act. And then we discover why we got even more stress than we began with. There are some issues in life that we got to turn over to God and say, God, this is, this is your business. I can't handle this one. I'm, I'm going to let you have it. Now, there are some who will say, well, Pastor Yoda, that's all well and good, but, but I, I cannot let God handle this issue here. I, gotta, I, got, to, I got to finagle myself. I got I to gotta manipulate myself. I got to navigate through this one myself. I can't. If you're going to do that, if you're going to insist on taking that issue up yourself, then you need to at least bring some Band-Aids with you because you're going to be beat up. You need to at least take a bottle of aspirins with you because you will have some headaches. You need to at least bring a, a splint with you because you're going to have some broken bones in the process. Maybe a, a box of Kleenex because you're going to be spending some time crying. Maybe some sleeping pills because it'll keep you from pacing back and forth at night. You should have given it over to God. Maybe, maybe some tranquilizers that will help your jittery nerves because you really can't handle the business that God handles. You see, there are some issues that God's got to take care of. We got to turn it over. I don't have the ability. I don't have the knowledge. I don't have the strength. I don't have, I don't have what it takes to handle. This one is for God to handle. Do you have something that you need to turn over to God? That you've been wrestling with this thing for a long time and you really can't make any headway and you finally come to the place where your back is pinned up against the wall and the question now is, are you going to trust God or are you going to keep doing the same thing that keeps on bringing you the same amount of stress and then you still end up in the same place you started? So David does instruct us here at least to say there are some things we need to turn over to the Lord. I'm not going to lift my hands to touch Saul because this is God's problem. Can you turn Saul, your Saul, over to God? Whoever he or she may be. This is something I cannot handle. I'll tell you, there is a little triggering device to help us understand the kind of things we need to turn over to God. When you find that unforgiveness starts to rise up on the inside and it won't let go, and you're looking at a stress that needs to be turned over to God. It's just a little, a little thumb sketch of trying to understand ourselves. When you got something that you can't make progress with, 
That's what you got to turn over to God. It's amazing how we grab things by ourselves and we try to make decisions. And, and I bet you heaven is laughing at some of the things we do. I mean, heaven has got to be laughing at some of the strategies we use to fix the problems that we got. Let me give you a couple examples, all right? Here's, here's the scene, heaven. Here's God, not me, but here's God. And here's God speaking to a wife. And he's saying to her, well, let me get this straight. Okay, now what, what you want to do is you want your husband to love you more. Is that right? Yes, that's right. Okay, and what you're doing is you believe that nagging him is going to accomplish that, right? And do you know that's what people do in order to accomplish their desired ends? Do you think that nagging fixes? Well, okay, let, I'm not picking on women. Let's put the man over there. Here's the husband. And God comes to the husband and said, okay, okay, let me get this straight. You want your wife to respect you. Is that right? Yes, I do. Okay. Now, the way you're going to get her to respect you is to be angry and threaten her. Oh, really? <laughs> that definitely is going to work. And yet, people by the millions do that. I'll give you another one. Here's a teenager. Teenager who, who wants their, her, 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 wants her parents or his parents I want you to trust me. I, I want you to trust me that I'll do the right thing. I, I want you, I want you to, to have trust in me. I'm your child. And, and so God is saying, okay, you want your parents to trust you. Okay, and then the way you're going about to get that trust is you're rebelling against their rules. You are fighting them at every turn of the way. You are criticizing and contradicting, and that's how you're going to get trust. Some of the solutions that we have are crazy, and yet we keep holding on to them. No wonder, no wonder we have stress in our lives. What we're doing is not fixing the problem. It's like the, it's like the, the, the snake that fell in love with a rope. Well, it looked like it's not a snake, but it's a rope. It's not going to work. It's like, it's like the turtle that fell in love with an army helmet. Well, okay, it looks a little bit like a turtle, but it's not, you know. And, and I think that heaven must look at our solutions the same way. As, as funny as this is, God must look at our attempt at fixing our problem the same way. Sometimes we just don't get it. David took the spear that was by King Saul as he was sleeping and the jug of water by Saul's head and they got away. That in itself is amazing. He has just tiptoed into an enemy camp with 3,000 men. And now he's tiptoeing out with the king's spear and his water jug that said K-S on it. His own initials, King Saul. Who knows, he must have had a spear one of a kind. And, and they're tipping, tiptoeing out of the camp with this. And then they go to a, a hill out of range. And no man saw or knew or awoke because a deep sleep from the Lord had fallen on them. This is interesting. First of all, if God wants you to go to sleep, all the cups of coffee at Starbucks in the world are not going to keep you awake. And a, and, a, and a box, a bottle of no-dose won't. If God, want, if God wants Adam to sleep, 
And the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam so that God gets what God wants. God, this particular day, wanted every man in Saul's army to go to sleep, including the guards that were supposed to be watching the king. So God sent angels to slip some Salmonex into their canteens, and they all fell asleep because God gets what he wants. What is interesting about this is that David was absolutely unaware of what God was doing. God did not tell David, now don't worry about walking into that enemy camp because I put everybody to sleep. David just knew, noticed they were sleeping, and so he took advantage of the fact that they were sleeping, got closer and closer to the king, took his spear and his water jug and tiptoed out, did not know, did not, this is important, did not know that God was working behind the scenes to fix the problem that David obviously had. And we need to know that in the stressful situations we are in, whether you are aware of it, whether God told you or not, God is in the background making arrangements to pull you through. You don't have to have a special word from God and some angel to deliver it to you so that you know that God's going to see you through. God is working behind the scenes for you. That, in and of itself, helps us deal with stress. If I could just know, if I could just know that I know that I know, that even though I can't sense it, even though I don't, I don't feel it, even though it doesn't even look like God's there. He's working his way. He's behind the scenes, fixing things. I can trust God. So I can turn my soul over to God because God knows how to shut mouths and close eyes and lift burdens, even though I'm not aware of it. David climbs the hill, he gets a safe distance, and then he shouts back to wake up the commander, his name is Abner, and criticizes him for having slept on the job and allowing the king to be exposed to trouble and no guards were aware. And while David is talking to Abner, criticizing him, Saul wakes up and he hears David's voice. Then Saul knew David's voice and said, is that your voice, my son, David? This, this hits me like a pail of cold water because 3,000 men have been chosen by Saul on one mission. That's to kill David on sight. And now Saul is saying, is that your voice, my son, David? King Saul has just given David's wife to another man. And he wakes up and says, is that your voice, my son, David? Isn't it interesting that some people can look you right in the eye and with a great big smile, they'll be smiling at you, and if you're not looking behind their back is a dagger. And they'll hurt you. Talk about stress. Stress can come from every corner. It can come from people that you don't like, and it can come from people that you do like, the Ziphites who, who told on David, and here's Saul who is... Oh, the games people play now, every night and every day now. Have you ever been involved in a game with somebody? Obviously, David has heard this before. He's not going to believe it. And then Saul says, I have sinned. Return, my son, David, 
for I will harm you no more. Yeah, I heard that before too. Sometimes you got to take what people say with a grain of salt. You can't believe everything people say. It would have been smart for, for Samson to be a little skeptical about Delilah. Wouldn't it? Would, it? would have been really smart for Samson to be just a little skeptical. Here's, here's Delilah comes, sweetheart, honey, baby doll, would you please tell me the secret of your strength? And, and you know, Samson gave him all kinds of dry runs. And finally he realized, this girl wants to kill me. This girl, she's calling the Philistines. This girl's turning the enemy on me. You would have thought at some point Samson would have said, listen, I'm not going to believe anything that you're saying anymore. Don't give me that sweet heart doll love Samson's honey baby doll. Sometimes you just got to not believe what it is that you hear because what it is you hear is not true. That's where some of our stress comes from. We're too gullible. We're too willing to believe. We need There's a little, some healthy skepticism ought to be involved in some of our thinking. But the reason why I'm preaching this message is not because of chapter 26. It's because of the very next chapter, chapter 27. David has just won a victory. David has uncovered King Saul's plot to get him once more. And David has foiled his plans. But this is what happens in the 27th chapter. And the first verse we read, and David said in his heart, now I shall perish someday by the hand of Saul. Brothers and sisters, here's where most of our stress comes from, where we're thinking, what we're thinking, and what we're saying to ourselves. Some, some people describe it as self-talk. They say self-talk because we're talking to ourselves all the time, every day, all day long. We talk to ourselves. Now, we don't talk to ourselves with words. We don't actually say, well, sometimes we do, but most of the times it's not words that we're saying to ourselves. It's feelings that we wash over ourselves. It's like, it's like a cloud. We allow a cloud to appear and it envelops us. And, and it goes something like this. Have you, have you ever had a battle with criticism? You don't want to criticize yourself, but you find that you don't know how to turn off the knob. You, you can't lower the volume and you don't know how to change the station. The, the, the criticism keeps, keeps, keeps coming. You're, you're no good. You can't make it. You're dumb. You're foolish. You're, it keeps coming back. It keeps coming back to hit us. And it's self-talk. So all the time, we are. Do we need to do something about the self-talk. We've got to do something about what we've been saying in our heart. Because what's going on in our heart is really what's giving us the greatest amount of stress. And we've got to manage it. Rather than managing what's on the outside, I have very little control of my outside. But I have a lot more control of what's going in my heart. What am I saying to myself? The Bible says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So if I keep thinking, this is, this is the point. Next week I'm coming back to this passage. This is the point where David begins to backslide. When he starts talking to himself. He is talking to himself in his heart. Even though the prophet anointed him to become the next king. Even though Jonathan said you become the next king. Even though Abigail, his wife, said God is going to make you a kingdom. Even though Saul himself says you're going to be the next king. David is talking to himself saying, you know, this guy's going to kill me. The promises of God, yeah, they're, they're, they're not going to come to pass. 
And he wouldn't tell that to any of his men. He won't say that out loud, but he's thinking the thought in his heart. Yeah, I know that, that it says that God is our refuge and strength, but, but God, you're not my refuge and you're not my strength. And I know it says you're a very present help in time of trouble, but, but Lord, I don't believe that you're a very present help in time of trouble because when I'm in trouble, it seems as if you're not there. And that's what we're talking. We're saying some things inside. And we know what the Bible says because the Bible says the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Leads me to paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. But Lord, I don't feel like you're leading me in the paths of righteousness. And I don't feel like my soul has been revived. And what we're saying on the inside carries more weight and what I say with my mouth. That's where stress begins. What you're saying on the inside. What have you been saying? What are you saying? What, what negative thoughts have been allowed to circulate? And here's how you look at it. Look at it this way. Negative thoughts about the past. So when I think about the past, I think it in a negative cast. It's like a negative cloud. I think about the past. The negative. I didn't like it. And the, what happened? And, and, I, and I feel like I'm being drawn back to it. And then it's, it's all negative. And then when you think about the future, you think in terms of fear. The future is frightening. What am I going to do? And so once again, we're thinking thoughts. Thinking thoughts. The past brings negative. The future brings negative. We think about our lives or about our talents or about our circumstances or about the economy or about the government or about anything. And we get this wave this tidal wave of negativity that comes rolling in and crashing on our shore and we start thinking, 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 thinking negative thoughts. When I first started in the ministry, I used to walk to, to my office. It was about three miles away and, and, and on the way I used to recite a, a poem. I must have recited it a thousand times or more. And on the way back, I'd recite the same poem. And it's a simple poem uh, and it goes like this. If you think you're beaten, you are. If you think you'll lose, you're lost. If you want to win but you think you can't, it's almost certain you won't. You got to think high to rise if you're going to win the prize. If you think you're beaten, the operative word is think. If you think you're beaten, you are. I, I got to get to the place where I said, Lord, I don't know how to handle this problem. And I hear my words, I hear my thoughts coming back to me, and I am afraid. I am afraid. One of the things that we need to learn to do is to be willing to admit, to come to God and admit that we're afraid. Admit. Confess we got a problem. Lord, I got this problem. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how I'm going to do it. I feel like my back's plastered into a wall. And I don't know how to make any headway because of this circumstance, and that circumstance, and this roof is caving in, and somebody pulled out the carpet from under. I don't know what to do. And we need to get to the place where we allow God's word to slip, slip into our heart. You've been listening to Pastor Joe at Sunlight Christian Center.